Hello, what's going on? My name is Rich Ryan. This is the Reinforced Running Podcast, where we talk about obstacle course racing, we talk about trail running, we talk about regular running, we talk about strength training, a whole bunch of stuff. We talk about training. Today, we have Rachel Drake. And Rachel Drake is a professional level trail runner who is fresh off of a second place finish at the Golden Trail Series. I guess it's not completely fresh, but it was like one of the only races that happened last year and it was a really, really big one. So Rachel has shown that she has what it takes to go against the top athletes in the world of trail racing. So we talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of how to kind of prepare for a multi-stage race and some workouts that she's done that really moved the needle for her. But we spent the majority of the episode talking about uh, mindset and figuring out how athletes can really be in tune with who they are as people and how it can really help drive performance and ways to kind of step out of the norm and really fulfill yourself and get the, get awesome performance along the way. So it was an awesome conversation. Rachel has really thought out about this stuff and and really honest. So I, I really enjoyed it. This is something that any athlete who wants to perform well really needs to lean into and, and learn so i think you're going to really enjoy this, this conversation It's definitely one of my favorites to date so here she is rachel drake okay i'm here with rachel drake rachel what's going on today nothing much how are you rich doing well i am really excited to chat with you i think we have a, a lot of roads we can kind of go down in terms of like the training of things i really want to touch on the golden trail thing i watched that documentary and it was awesome didn't they do Did a you know good that was gonna job i don't know if i've just haven't seen very many documentaries about like the trail racing circuit but i was like this is really cool yeah they crushed it i was pretty unaware of it until jim Jim said he had to go to an interview and I figured it was just like a typical, you know, competition type interview. And he was like, no, they're doing a story about this whole event and following for athletes, which super awesome, like really good for the sport. And that's, yeah, it was great. Anything, any type of content that I can get like that. And the way that they were back on the trails too, I actually felt like I learned something just watching the way that you guys kind of attack these trails and, and the way that like, just like being able to just almost like studying it. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Like things I've never really, really quite seen before. So I hope that they keep that going. And it was only an hour. I, I mean, I would have liked it to be longer even. It would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'm glad you liked it. So during it, um, when I was watching it, it seemed like, they weren't necessarily prepared to talk about you, right? Like you said, there's like four athletes that they kind of were highlighting, right? So they probably Mm -hmm. circled a couple names and they're like, all right, we're going to get these backstories because these are the people that we imagine are going to do well. And and you got second overall in the entire thing. So it's this four stage race. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. And, and it was kind of like the biggest race in two, in 2020, not, not kind of, I think objectively was the biggest race in 2020. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was clear that they, and even in the documentary, they kind of talk about like how, I don't know if they use the word surprise, but more or less how they were surprised about how well you were doing as the stages kind of went on. So was that something you were expecting or were you also surprised by your performance there? Uh, it's kind of a loaded question. It's tough because my husband, Tyler, who coaches me, he just, he said, I think you'll just kind of find yourself near the front. And I don't like going into a race thinking like, think like putting pressure on myself or thinking I should be 
doing well, but at the same time, I feel like I like to go in like thinking I can be competitive, whatever that means for me. Um, so I guess the first, the first couple days I was holding back quite a bit, just knowing that there was going to be more to come and I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to burn out early on. Um, and even just holding back, I was still in the hunt and, you know, placed fourth the first two days. So I think that gave me a really good boost of confidence just to know that I can run really controlled and still place fairly high, um, which was just super fun. Hmm. So that was kind of the plan out front, like be comfortable more or less. Like what was this? what was necessarily the strategy just kind of like sit in with the pack and, or, and like when you're preparing for something like that. And so just, let's just kind of get like, we had Bailey on a couple of uh, weeks or months ago and we kind of went through it a little bit, but it's nice to have a refresher on like yeah. what this race actually was. Cause just kind of give us some details on it and like all the demands for it. Yeah. Um, just for the listeners too, if you haven't listened to that episode with Bailey, that was really awesome and really enjoyed great, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the question was what, like, what is it? Yeah. So, <laughs> what it is was, it? so it was called the golden trail championships, which is usually a singular race, um, put on by Solomon. And this year, since all of the other races in their series were canceled due to COVID, um, they put on this golden trail championships, which was a four day stage race, basically in the middle of the Atlantic on the Azores Island, which is an archipelago of Portugal. Um, and yeah, it was basically 20 to 30, I think even maybe, maybe less than 20 miles, um, a day for four days. And yeah, just really variable terrain, super muddy, super, I, it was just like, it, no one was expecting what it was, which I think just made it all the more interesting. Um, you kind of just had to have an open mind and be prepared to hurt. So was that kind of the approach then? Was it like, no matter what we have coming here, it's, we're just going to need to kind of go off this based off of effort Mm -hmm. and kind of know the demands of the distances. So what did that look like in practice when preparing for something like this? Like, did you try to put yourself in these positions for multiple days of hard sustained effort? Or was it like, let's make sure we're kind of recovering and like trying to like figuring out where you can get the highest output with like the least amount of rest. What'd that kind of look like? So yeah, the, the main approach was to do multiple hard days back to back to prepare for, what it would feel like running hard on tired legs. And obviously recovery is super important. And I worked on that in training as well. But it, for example, it would be something like on the first day I would do a 12 or 13 mile run and just hammer the descents to really like uh, basically blow my quads. So make my legs super tired. And then the next day I would do hill reps, maybe something like five by three minutes, just really hard hill reps. Um, so I'm trying to run really hard uphill on these quads that are already blown from going downhill the day before. And then, but, but it's not like, it's not like a normal all out workout. It's just, I kind of had this philosophy of just 
do what you can with what you have and be happy with that. Like don't stress about how you're not feeling great because in the race, no one's going to be feeling great. So just do the best you can with how you're feeling. And then, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, was that like, that seems like a really great way to approach for races, right? That, that, that day, that's what you have. And if you can get to the ceiling of what your fitness is feeling that way, like that should be like, that should make you feel satisfied. Absolutely. Was, was the training the same? Did you have that same type of mindset there? Or was it like, I need to, I need to crush this and I need to achieve a certain amount. Or are you just kind of like, let's see what I got in the, in the, no, it was, it was very much like not about achieving any certain thing. It was more about the mind space that you're talking about where it's like, do the best you can and be happy with that and feel fulfilled with that, which I think can be extrapolated into training for anything, not just a stage race. Like everyone has life stressors and things that put them in the hole that when you go into training and you're not hitting your splits or it's not perfect, which it's rarely ever going to be perfect. I think finding satisfaction and knowing that you're doing the best on that day. And that's really all you can ask for. Yeah. Has this been a philosophy that you've picked up along the way? Because your background is pretty traditional in terms of a distance runner, right? Yeah. Like you're like, I'm sure you ran division one. Um, at Minnesota, mm-hmm. right? So like, I'm sure you were there and I was like, okay, we're doing thousand meter reps and you need to run at within these two seconds, yeah. um, which is kind of the, you know, if we're talking about maximizing energy systems, like there's science and like when it's a group of people and you want them to get as fast as possible, you try to lean on it. Mm-hmm. So did, is this, was there a shift in your training or do you use both of these methods now? Or like, how has that changed over the years? Yeah, so you're talking about like, uh, sort of outcome based, like hitting splits and like um, following a really regimented training plan versus being happy with a hard effort, <laughs> like a much yes. more nebulous thing. Yeah. So it's been a huge shift. Um, I think you allude to this, like in college, a lot of people probably can identify with this. Um, it's very structured and hit your splits and don't fall off the pack. Um, which I think has a, has a, there's a reason for that. Um, It's much easier to control. I think as a coach, when you're dealing with 30 athletes, like give them their splits and um, you can't really unpack, you know, how are you feeling today? And how are your classes going? Um, (laughs) But that also leads to a lot more anxiety, even if you're a couple seconds off your split and that's all you have to hold on to. I think it's much easier to spiral downwards into thinking that you failed that workout rather than celebrating just making a a hard effort with what you had, which is much more my philosophy now. Um, And I think I, I have a good example of this too. Like when I was training for the Olympic marathon trials, I was doing a workout with some good friends here in Portland and I, I just completely fell off the back of the pack in this workout. Um, and we're cooling down together and we kind of all come back together. And I was fully prepared for like the, that feeling in college where there's a little bit of stigma and it's like, oh, what? It's like embarrassed. It's, yeah. I'm ashamed and people are like, don't know what to say to me. 
Um, and I come back, these are, these are my adulthood teammates now. And they're like, Hey, like, how are you doing? And I was like, I don't, I just felt like I was running through applesauce and they all like were very enthusiastic and like, Oh good. I'm glad like you're not injured. You're fine. Like shake it off. You're good. This happens. Like, and that attitude just had me thinking like, Oh, they're right. Like, I gave my best for the day and that's all I can ask for. And my mind just like totally let it go. Whereas if something like that happened five years ago when I was in college, it would have just kind of sent me into a downward spin thinking, you know, something's wrong with me. And when I kind of was looking back and like looking at some of the the previous results, like, you know, anyone who's running in the big 10 at, uh, on a varsity squad, like having being a, a contributor scoring is like the elite of the elite. Right. But like kind of where you are now, it seems like you have taken a step beyond what like your performance would have indicated, say in college. For sure. right? Like, um, What do you kind of attribute that to it? Is it as like, is it something along these lines where the mindset and like the goals between the races have changed? Or what what do you, what do you think? Is this something that you can, and again, I know you had mentioned like you want to put yourself and be as competitive as you can whenever uh, you do have a race. So you're like, you're not necessarily surprised about doing well, but your results have gotten a lot better. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah. Yeah, So So what do you think? I think a lot of it has to do with bringing joy into the process and really just loving what I'm doing. Um, And and noticing when it becomes more of a stress inducing experience and taking that and saying, okay, I'm going to step away if that's the case. Um, in college, it was a lot more stressful. I'm, I was constantly kind of on the verge of, am I going to make the team or am I not going to make the team? Like the, the travel team, the top seven or whatever, top 10. Yeah. And I think there's just a different, there's a much different culture in, trail and ultra running compared to track and field and road running. Um, Part of that is like on the track, you're like a fish in a bowl. Like people can see you when you start to fall off or when you're really struggling, like there's no hiding there, but in trail running, you can disappear into the forest and you could be out there crying or whimpering and no one will see you until you come out the other side and you're smiling. (laughs) Like, I think it's a much, it's a much different sport in that sense. And, um, I'm having a lot more fun running now, which I think having fun and being relaxed is, is good for performance for sure. Is that why you found yourself kind of like drawn to, I mean, it seems like that's what you really enjoy about it, but like coming out of college where you're like, yeah, let me try something a little bit. Uh, a little bit different. Did you know, always know trails were going to be something that you wanted to go after? Like, how did you find out? So after college in Minnesota, I moved out to Oregon for graduate school. And I really, I stepped away from running for a year. I think I just didn't, maybe I ran a little bit, but I didn't really, I wasn't aware of trail running, um, I guess, as a sport. And eventually someone told me I needed to go run in Forest Park, which is this amazing, huge park. Have you been in Portland? It's unbelievable that that park is there. I know. It's such a treat. It's like a way I think about it now. Like I'm in center city, Philadelphia. I live like two blocks from like our biggest park. And it's like, like 
you know, just the size of a city block. And it would be like, if it was a huge intricate trail system, two blocks away from like this really urban area, it's insane. Yeah. So I, I didn't know about it until maybe a year after living in Portland and I finally discovered it. And my friends and I joke that they would invite me to run there and I would say, Oh, that's okay. I have trails by my house, which were a much smaller network of trails um, in Southwest Portland, but eventually discovered forest park and, started running longer and longer in there. And I, I made a friend, um, on a run, which happens all the time in trail running. And they, they're like, Oh, you should sign up for, uh, this 50 K that's happening in the fall. So I just kind of signed up for a 50 K the Mackenzie river 50 K, which is, I think it's the oldest 50 K in Oregon. Great first 50 K for anyone, um, interested in doing it because there's aid stations every like three to six miles. Um, and just kind of took off from there. Did, cause this, that's not an unfamiliar story for someone who comes through like a collegiate program. Like I have a ton of teammates that just like stopped, completely stopped. Yeah. You see them now be like, I have no idea that they were high level runners at some point and there's just no love there anymore. Um, and this is for anybody who, who goes headfirst into any type of endeavor. Like there is, there can be this point of burnout where it's just like they've, spent everything that they had mm-hmm. and they're just there's no more joy there just kind of pulling that theme how did you know that you were ready to compete again i didn't really think of it as competing and this kind of goes back actually to the golden trail series one of my um nike italian teammates francesco poopy said it's not a race it's an adventure and i love that attitude it's like Yeah, that's the cool thing about trail running is like your effort is really dictated by the terrain. So Mm. you're kind of just playing with the trail, really, Um, which I I, when I did that 50K, I didn't really think of it as like, oh, I'm, I'm out there to compete. It was more like I'm out there to see what I can do to see if I can run 31 miles. That's crazy. Like, and I, I really like to go into races just thinking like, what can I do? Like, how hard can I push myself? Like, I'm there to compete. Yes. But my competitors are my collaborators and I want them to crush because if they're crushing, I have to crush. So it's like, let's just push each other to be the best we can be and see where the chips fall. This is very, this is very trail run. It's very ultra language. (laughs) This is very, very trail. Um, But it's such a cool way to kind of think of it, right? It's almost like turning it on its head. And one question I had for you was like, like, how did you, like, were you mentally prepared to make a, a breakthrough the way that you had, right? Because I feel like that in, in, the way I, some of the athletes I coach, or even in like my own like athletic journey, I'm like, I'm like, I always feel like I'm like right there. Like I just need like one little thing to kind of push it over the edge. But like talking to you, it sounds like the, again, the outcome isn't necessarily something that is, is top of mind. So when you're kind of uh, approaching this at like with your collaborators and going on this adventure, but you get second in the biggest race in the world, like how do you then like, accept the accomplishment like how does that then feel for you I think it's it's tricky because I think that attitude of not not thinking of it 
as an outcomes based thing is what allows me to have good outcomes. So right. <laughs> an alternate, and a different example of that when I haven't done that was I ran the world mountain running championships in 2019 and really went into it like, I want to win this thing. Like if I don't place in the top, whatever, it's a failure. And I was so tense and stressed going into it. Um, and I, I had all the evidence to believe that I could place really well there, but I wasn't enjoying it. I was stressed about it and I had a belly flop. I was like 28. So I think like knowing that when I, that kind of takes the fun out of it for me. Like I can't have my joy in the sport be tied to a result. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, so when that, like for that example, when, you know, it, it did kind of creep back into being results-based as most runners are going mm-hmm. through, like, was it like, how did you know then? Was it clear then that you had kind of, kind of backslid into that? And is there like a process that you have to like remind yourself of like what you're out here doing and like, are you battling that or is it like pretty good any now? No, I, I think I'm battling it, but my, my husband, Tyler has helped a ton with that. And he knows that like that the mindset is very important for me. And part of that is the community that you surround yourself with the the people that you're training with and that you, I think I need to be really careful. Like when I go to a race, like whoever I'm rooming with or spending my time with, I, I want to really be careful about like the, the energy that I am around, especially before a big effort like that. So another example of that was when I ran CCC at UTMB that same year, actually, I was with a bunch of my Nike teammates, Keely Henninger, Brittany Peterson, Sally McRae, and they're all just lovely, delightful, like happy to be here kind of people. And I think just like experiencing that and knowing like, okay, we are on the same wavelength. Like, yeah, we all want to like compete really well and perform, but more important than that is like, we're grateful to be here. And, and like that comes first, like the, the fun. So I think I I'm having, I'm learning that like, I need to kind of curate that for myself. Like I need to be with friends um, and I, my roommate in, at the Golden Trail series was Kimber Maddox, who is just the most delightful woman. And I, I mean, I credit that, I guess, success, you would call it to her energy. Like I just feed off of that positivity and that joy. So this, so this, I, I want to get in the nuts and bolts of how you were able to, uh, qualify for the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. But I'm also curious now, like what the difference in the feel of the energy would be from Golden Trail or like a regular big mountain type ultra event versus an event like the US Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. Um, was it glaring? Or how did it feel for you? No, because I was with all my friends at the trials, like all mm. my adulthood 
teammates that I train with in Portland that like the same people that when I fell off that workout were like, Oh good, you're fine. You're great. Like this <laughs> happens. This happens to everyone. Um, I was with them at the trials and though I'm sure there were pockets of people who are just anxious and like, you know, had all their, their nervous energy. I'm, I'm not saying we weren't nervous, but I think just knowing that I was with my people and that we kind of had the same attitude going into it, um, w- was able to have this like little micro environment of fun within this high energy, um, environment that you might think would be very anxiety inducing and probably would have been very anxiety inducing if I wasn't with all my friends. Hmm. So you hacked it. You I figured think, it out. I think just... we did. Yeah, I think we really did. And do you think, I guess this is theoretical and you can only speak for your own experiences, but have you found that, and I mean like you have really high level um, and high achieving friends and, and teammates. Do you think you can achieve well being at like all outcome based? Do you think like there are people who do well that way? For sure. I mean, you see it, you see it all the time. Like, like Tiger Woods, right? Did you see that documentary? I did. I think I have like 20 minutes left in the second one, but I get the gist. Yeah. I kind of know. Very like your whole life is very focused on this one thing or even like the, um, Lindsay Vaughn documentary. Like, I didn't see that one. Okay. So it's just a similar story where it's like all the energy goes into this performance and you kind of see that it's, it's lonely, right? Like it's lonely being at the top of whatever the game is. Um, and I think like, yes, there is success there, but it just, it depends on how you define your success, right? Like Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe that means, you know, winning races or being at the top of the sport, but also what's the cost. Yeah. And that's something that I like the idea of like how you're defining success. And I try to ask that to some athletes that I coached before, like a race, it's like, what, what's success look like here? Right. Like Mm -hmm. what, like, is it effort? Like, is it place? Like, is it effort just to figure out like what a goal could be? Cause it doesn't necessarily need to be top three, mm-hmm. you know, it could be like, I just want to spend it all. I just want to go out there and, and feel confident. I want to feel like I did my best or whatever it ends up being. Are you doing that during like your goal setting process? Are you, are, or is it pretty much like what, like what do you consider success? Yeah. I think like first and foremost is having fun. Like that's even if you, even if you get last place, if you had a positive experience, like you learned something, you enjoyed yourself, that's great. No one, no one can ever take that away from you. Which mm-hmm. I think winning doesn't necessarily mean happiness, even if you, you know, get a lot of attention from it or you get like a moment of, wow, I can't believe I just won that. That was great. Like, I think if you're not having fun with it, you're, you're not going to, you're not winning even if you win the race. <laughs> that was a really backwards right. way of saying like, you got to have fun with it. Um, I mean, this isn't my full-time job by any means. Like I don't depend on this for my, you know, my housing or anything like that. So 
Yeah, I think I define success by first and foremost, having fun. That doesn't mean I don't set goals when I go into a race. Um, but if your your definition of success is tied to an outcome, it's oftentimes not something you can control. Like in trail running, there's always going to be people that surprise you and do amazing. And we should hope for that. Like we should hope for people to come out of the woodwork and absolutely crush because that's going to make the sport better. So you can go into a race and maybe look at the list of entrants and say, oh, I, I feel like I should win this race. Not to the point, though, where you're thinking, if I don't, I'm, I'm disappointed. Like, yeah, I think it, it should be happiness and, and effort based. And then usually along those lines where it's like, okay, like, let's, like, fun is going to be my metric for success. How then do you determine, like, how do you make that happen then? How are you like, like, cause then that would be like, when I was like, okay, like, well, what can we do to make sure this is going to be fun? Yeah. Um, like I said before, like invite your friends to come to the race with you. If you yeah. have control over, um, you know, who you're staying with before and after the race, like that kind of, yeah, you know, curating that environment of, okay, I know these people are going to be joyful and see this as like a, a form of self-expression rather than like, oh, I'm here to compete and win. Um, I think those are the, the main things. Like, hmm. yeah, it's hard to nail yeah, like down that. the tangible, like, all right, let's create a fun experience, but <laughs> right. it's really just the people. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like that's something that is always going to be uh, true for you is like the community that you're around and like just being at the event and like knowing it's going to be fun because you're going to the event, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it would almost be impossible for that Golden Series race not to be the most fun experience outside of like getting injured or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so that makes sense. And it's got to be about finding what the individual considers that like your fun or success is definitely not going to be the same as like mine. And, mm -hmm. and, that's, mm -hmm. and that's like figuring that out. Yeah. So one thing we touched on quick and kind of grazed over was that you did qualify for the Olympic trials. And you also say you on, on the, on the road, on the marathon, almost at the same time as running at a high level on the trail. And you said you had, there was a separate event that you had done something pretty similar with. Um, and a lot of times I feel like that there's it needs to be like kind of black and white it's like i'm going after this trail trail race series i'm going after this time on the road or, or this specific race there's not much back and forth so like how were you able to, to do well at both things like from a from a mentality standpoint it seems like if you approach it with the way that you kind of approach all these other things like i'm gonna have fun i'm gonna enjoy this like then the the fitness is gonna and the race kind of take care of itself was there anything you did in like in practice that helped you prepare for these things yeah. like, to run fast on the road? Yeah. So I, I trained for, you're talking about when I qualified for the Olympic trials. Yeah. And then, and then you, and you ran them as well. Yeah. Like you were, you were kind of doing both at the time, right? Yeah. So in 2019, I ran the grandma's marathon in June um, and trained for that, like pretty much like a road runner would. Um, and again, I was really 
I was really drawn into that because a lot of my friends in Portland were training for um, to hit that 245 marathon cutoff. And I remember saying to um, Tyler, wow, like my friends just ran 240 in the marathon. How crazy is that? And he is like, you know, you could probably do that too if you wanted. And I thought he was crazy, but started going down that path and, and thought it might be possible. And really, I really committed to training for the roads, but not without, you know, still doing long trail runs. So like three weeks before I ran grandma's marathon, um, we had actually just gotten married. And on our honeymoon, we did this 27 mile, very hilly long run, pretty hard, just because that's what we like to do. Um, And I think that also helps the road running in the sense that you're totally desensitized to the distance and the time that it's going to take. So going into a road marathon thinking, okay, I'm going to try to run 240 something. um, And I just did this five hour long trail run that was longer than a marathon. It it makes it much less daunting thinking, oh, I'm only going to be out there for less than three hours. This isn't going to be so bad. So it's not even that long. Yeah, exactly. And then also I think conversely, just the the mental side of things like training for a road marathon does not, it, it's so different to training for trails. Like you're spending time grinding on the road. There's not a lot to see. Like everything's all in one direction and you're looking at your watch a lot to make sure you're running the right pace or hitting the right splits. So right. in my mind, it almost didn't feel like training. Like, cause I'm used, yeah. I'm used to doing like more trail stuff where it's, it's more effort based. I'm more concerned about how much climbing I'm getting every week. Like it was a, it was a much different way to train so that when it was time to go back to be more focused on trails, I felt super mentally fresh because it was like a whole new world of, of training. Hmm. So it was almost like a uh, novelty to you. Yeah. Doing. That's, that, that's interesting. Have, Where some people would kind of dread it and be like, Oh, this is terrible. No. Have, <laughs> do you know like, about the Enneagram? Have you heard yeah. of that? What, what number are you? I'm a seven. What, what, what's that it's one? It's an enthusiast. So like oh, okay. novelty, like I just want to try everything, which I think you're kind of alluding to that. It was like, wow, this is so different. It feels like it's fun. It's not like nothing I've ever done. What what number are you? I'm a nine. Okay. I think that's a peacemaker. A peacemaker. Yeah. A peacemaker. Yeah. yeah cool. I'm working on it. Like it's that's definitely where my propensity would be, but I kind of like in – what is it? They say in stress, you go down I, in stress. I'm a six, but like in the other thing, I like lean toward a three, which is like the achiever, which yeah. I like a little bit better. Okay. Which, which way do you, do you go? Um, I think in, uh, I can't remember. I, I don't know. In times of stress, you can look at the, um, there's like a triangle. Yeah, I like just had it up. Like I keep it like on my my computer sometimes, just to kind of like reference. Um, but I just had it up. Um, yeah, I can't. That's interesting. I can't remember. It's oh, this is this is actually so cool. So I'm a scientist, and in uh-huh. in like times of growth, I go to the investigator, which it just feel it feels like it wouldn't be 
possible because someone who is so like novelty seeking and, you know, looking for fun opportunities then goes to this very focused, very disciplined five where they're, they're like, um, trying to get to the bottom of something, which is what my whole PhD has been. And right. that's the cool <laughs> thing about the Enneagram is it doesn't make sense. But then when you read it, you're like, whoa, that is so spot on. Cause I could see that like novelty, like, like wanting to explore novelty and then figuring out why that, that thing is exciting to you. And then it kind of drives you into like digging even deeper. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I What's guess, the stress one? Um, in, in times of stress, you go to the reformer. I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. That's a one. So in times of stress, I go to a one, which is, I think, very perfectionistic and like everything needs to be a certain way, almost almost to a debilitating point. So I guess for the listener, when we're talking about going to an area of stress and an area of growth, this doesn't mean all ones are stressful. This is like... It could be good, right? Yeah, so it's like I'm going to a healthy five. I'm going to a healthy investigator that's really thriving. And in a time of stress, I'm going to the unhealthy version of a one, which would be like a very perfectionistic um, person that's like debilitating. So, and I kind of see that looking back at my childhood, like there are times I couldn't go to bed if like my room wasn't perfectly clean, which is like, (laughs) that's that's horrible. Like to be able to break out of that was very important. And thanks Craig and Gloria for breaking me out of that. But, um, yeah, I think it's empower. It's empowering to know these things. So we can like label it. it. It is funny. These type of tests, like it's, it's like when you think about it, it's not that surprising that like it kind of nails you down because you answer all these questions and it's you answering them, but just like the tendencies in which it, it, it kind of works. It, it, you can draw lines directly to experiences. And for you, it even makes sense for how your race, you perform in races. When you're it's having like, fun and like, like it's novel. And that's the cool thing about trail running. Every single race is like, Oh, we're running on snow. We're running up. We're running down. Like it's never boring. Whereas in college, it was like, and we're going to Indiana and we're running on another golf course and we're running right. around in circles trying to go a little bit faster. Like there was a lot less it's novelty like, there. And it'd be like a one in stress where everything needs to be perfect. Yeah. Whereas like the pace needs to be perfect. My place needs to be perfect. Whoa. Rich, this is like That's a therapy pretty. session. That's so true. Like it a, was like, it was playing <laughs> into my unhealthy oneness, which was like in college, it was like, all right, get eight hours of sleep, take your iron pills, like do everything as you're told. And if you deviate, you're not doing well. Like there was no room for, oh, I think I'm going to go like rock climbing this weekend. Like that was considered um, like deviant from the, division one college running person. Right. Like if you're not good, if your goal is not to help the team and perform well, like you shouldn't, yeah. you, can't, you can't do any of that stuff. Yeah. Huh. But that also makes sense. Like, like, cause just hearing intuitively hearing about like training, going from trails and then running a marathon and being like pumped up about running on the roads. 
not a lot of people would have that. Totally. No, and it was <laughs> yeah. like, like you said, it's the novelty. It's totally different. But then also I'm surrounded by like eight amazing, fun women who all have the same goal, the same arbitrary goal of running a certain time. And it's like, not going to be easy, but we're having fun with it. We're like, you know, bringing muffins to the hard workouts and we're playing music and we're like, we're making memories in doing this. Like I, no way in a million years would I mm. ever even think about doing that if it weren't for the community that I'm in here. Yeah. And, and, and because of that, were you never concerned about the way that your performance might like lost time on trails or anything like that? Or were you just so entrenched in what you were doing in that moment? They didn't even think about like what was happening, what, what could, what things you could be doing on the trail or how it was going to affect like maybe like your longer term goals. Like yeah. were those things that were there or was it just like, Hey, I'm here. So like, let's do it. Yeah. I think it was more, I'm here. I'm happy to be here. Like I still love trail running and I know that I'm going to go back to that. And this is, something that's exciting to me right now. And I think, I think you're kind of alluding to like this and correct me if I'm wrong, but like this sort of trajectory of like someone who's trying to make a, make a splash in the trail world and maybe like worrying that you're missing out on doing some races that might like further catapult me in that world. Is that kind of you just a little bit? Kind of like you figure that to make like, you know, progress isn't always linear, right? right? But like to make like this pro, like you kind of have to build off of what you had previously done to to keep this upward trajectory going to ultimately like be able to do more work and to yeah. you know achieve a little bit more, yeah, season after season, week after week. Yeah, I think like I I don't know if this is exactly what you're getting at, but like one thing that I've tried really hard to stay true to is like doing things that excite me, regardless of like their prestige or their um, like what other people are going to say. Like I try to select races and objectives that I'm like genuinely excited about and not just because it's considered the most prestigious, whatever, which I think mm -hmm. has like, has kind of hurt me in some ways, like in that, like a, a few years ago, I tried to make it on the U.S. mountain something something team, and they came back and said, <laughs> "No, no, you can't be on the team." I guess, yeah, <laughs> you can't be on the team because like you haven't done enough competitive races, which totally makes sense. But also, like, I don't want to just go to races that are considered competitive or that have good media coverage because I'm trying to like, you know, further myself in, in like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but like th that I'm trying to like give myself more exposure or something. Um, I guess with that, I just don't want to color my experience or like my, my joy for the sport with these extrinsic things that I really have no control over. That you don't really want to deep down do, right? Yeah. Like, like taking the steps to, to, to check these boxes based off of like what you should do based off like someone's else projections. Yeah, exactly. And I think, <clears throat> I think another really good example of that is when it comes to fastest known times, like and mm -hmm. Tyler and I talk about this all the time. It's like, 
if you're you're in any hard race, you're going to get to a point where you start to question, why am I even doing this? Like, this is really uncomfortable. And if you don't have that deep down desire and like excitement for being there, you're not going to, you're not going to really perform well or make it through those dark times as well as you would if you were at an event that you're really excited about and that means something to you. So with an FKT, you could look and say, oh, what are the most prestigious FKTs and go after them. But in those moments of hurt, if, if it's not something that you care about, you're not going to, you're not going to make it through as well. The, this is something that uh, a friend of mine who's a sports psychologist, he's been on the show before named Tim Sylvester. He kind of talks about a little bit that really has helped me kind of be, become clear about essentially how to train and like what to kind of train for. And he, I think he just calls it your effing cool. I think he's working <laughs> on it. He's, he's, he's workshopping it, but Love basically it. like, what is the thing that you think is just like the coolest thing yeah. that you could go after? Yes. And then, you know, yeah. And then like, and so like when I was thinking about that, I was like, Oh yeah. Am I just doing these things because this is the sport in which I want to do well in, mm-hmm. or do I like actually think this is like fun? Yeah. <laughs> like, do I, do I, am I supposed to think this is fun or do I think it's fun? And it was like, it opened up so many different layers of like I what I should that. and can do. Yeah. You, yeah. you really have to like quiet all the other voices of what the sport or what like other people think is a worthy objective and really like sit with yourself and think about what you think is a cool objective and then go for that. Like who cares what everybody else thinks? And I was going to ask if that's something that you do have. Is it? Is it? Is there a process behind the the figuring out what's cool, or is it intuitive? Is it like that you have a feeling and you know when you're kind of like projecting what you want to do, or is there something you kind of you can kind of like lean back on so you know that you're like following the right path? I don't know. I don't really have a formula. I think it just stems from from talking to people about races that they've done and seeing like a twinkle in their eye about some, you know, race you've never heard of. And, and you, you start to like get a sense of what, what types of um, environments you, you want to be in and then going from there. And certainly like a lot of those, those big famous races are like UTMB, for example, Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc. That's like, I'm very excited about that race. And it's like, I'm slowly moving towards that. And it's also a big race that a lot of people um, prioritize, but it's not, it's not necessarily, it's not driven by that. It's more like what, what you see um, and what you're, what you're drawn to intrinsically. But there's so much media these days that it's like, it's hard to to realize what what you think is cool and differentiate that from what everyone else thinks is cool. And it's okay if they overlap. It doesn't have to be different, but I think you you know. It's like it's palpable when you're in a race and you're like, "Crap, I don't actually care about this race. This isn't fun. Like this feels wrong in my heart." Yeah. Isn't that fun? Like I just it makes me like kind of feel icky because like 
people harness like influencer marketing. And that's like literally what we're talking about is like everybody telling you what you think should be cool because of these personalities and has nothing to do with, with you. And and like, like that's how people, that's how organizations try to convince you Mm -hmm. to do something based off of like what other people do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's good. We're talking about it though. Cause I don't, I don't think it's something that we think about or are even aware of, like how that influences our decision making and how in doing so we can get further and further away from ourselves and and what we value. Yeah, that's a thing that influencer marketing works. <laughs> it's just that that's why it works. We just like, oh, okay, that seems that seems right. That seems cool. But I can't say that I, it hasn't worked on me, right? Like even just like the races that I've been doing with obstacle course racing, it's like, do I really want to do this? Like, do I do I have to do this? Like, okay, that looks really so cool though. I I went down a YouTube oh, yeah. rabbit hole the other day, and I was like, I kind of want to try one of these. Like the obstacle oh, you should course. definitely try. I really do <laughs> novelty, right? When there. you and when you said the thing about adventure, that's like the people who do the best in OCR, they are the ones who are seeking adventure. Like that's how they kind of a- approach this. And that's not necessarily how I would approach it. And like, I, like I'm like i going to keep doing OCR for sure, but like which avenues I take will be different based off of like what I feel I'm going to enjoy the most. But when it comes to adventure and novelty – you got to do it. Yeah. yeah and not I just, and not just being one of those like annoying OCR people. It's like, you got to do it so hard. Come on. <laughs> I got to work but on my you, monkey you, bars. Let's do some monkey bars. Do some, <laughs> you know, let's go to rock climbing wall. You'll be fine. Um, what is something that you have that you that, like looking at that you're like, wow, like that's something I would love to do. That might not even be, say it's like off of the radar of like traditional um, trail type stuff or just like anything. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so one one thing that's kind of immediate is the there's a marathon in northern Spade called Zagama, and it's it's a marathon and it's got like eighteen thousand feet of climbing, um, which I guess that's not that's not really off the beaten path. It's like a pretty well known event, but in my mind, yeah. it's like <laughs> it's a lot of climbing. I can't wrap my mind around how that exists, like how there could possibly be that much climbing in that short of a distance. Yeah, is it just straight up and down a bunch of times? It it kind of snakes around these mountains, like, and I Hmm. I think there are some really, really steep sections where you're power hiking. Um, I guess aside from that, there are some objectives, like, in Oregon that people have probably never heard of um, that actually don't really even exist. But one of my friends, Sean, put together this route in eastern Oregon that's, like, 40 miles with something like 20,000 feet of climbing that it sounds doable, but it's, it's off trail tracing ridges, route finding, like, um, and it's something that we tried in October and we bailed off of it, which I think that makes it even more enticing that it's, it's that hard that you need to really nail it. Uh, hmm. I'm really excited to hopefully try that again with him. So it sounds like like something that is fun for you in general is like is trying hard, right? Is like putting out like your your max effort and seeing like what happens from that. Mm-hmm. Do you do you foresee that there is something that comes along? Like say like 
you know, the actual adventure races, like multiple, like, like orienteering type stuff, would you, or things that might not even have a result, right? Like if it's something that like kind of what you just had mentioned, like yeah. there's no result to that. Yeah. Like, do you, ever, do you think that you would ever just veer that way and be like, all right, I'm going away from competing in general, just cause like, or is the competition part of the fun? Yeah. And I think that the, it's not so much the competition as much as it is like the, the energy and like being around a bunch of people that are all doing the same thing. Um, that's another thing I love about competing is that community and that like um, those relationships that you get. Like I haven't, I haven't done a ton of solo or small, I guess not small, but like adventures alone or just with a couple people. Like I, I love that. And I think it's super fun, but um, I don't, I don't really ever want to like completely cut off competing just because I love that um, like community aspect of it. Yeah. Those are your people, mm-hmm. right? The people who are at the right. Those, those are your people that you want to be around. Yeah. So like and if you want, if you want to be around them, the more you, you do, yeah, the more you do, like the more people you meet and then you just keep seeing them and meeting more people. And it becomes even more fun because you are continuing to grow that community. That makes sense. Um, and is this like this whole kind of philosophy that we've, that we've kind of like dug into and it, I find really interesting. Like, it's, I, I love that you have like, you have these thoughts, right? Like they are there and like you, you're, you know yourself as a, as an athlete. Does it, do you kind of follow the same type of um, like guiding light when it comes to like your work and like the personal things that you kind of go after because you are, you're working toward your PhD, mm-hmm. right? And like, um, it seems like you have a lot of stuff going on and a lot of stuff that is pretty demanding. Yeah. Um, does it trend, does it translate across everything or is it pretty compartmentalized and like, this is how I behave as an athlete versus as a person? Yeah. I, I kind of feel this, um, this like pressure to separate the two, like a lot of people that I work with in the lab, I don't, I think they know that I run, but they don't know that I run a lot and that I they didn't watch a documentary. No, <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm feeling inspired to uh, let them overlap a little bit more. Um, and actually, I one of my good friends, Stephen, just made a film. Uh, it's like a 15 minute kind of documentary film about my life as a scientist and an athlete. And I think it kind of nicely makes it a little bit more visible, like how they do go together and how. I guess, yeah, like in anything I do in life, I want to make it enjoyable. I want to bring enthusiasm to it. And I want to surround myself with people that have that same attitude. So like in selecting a medical subspecialty, I'm paying attention to, okay, what types of people tend to go into the specialty and do I want to be around them? So Hmm. like right now, I think Hmm. that I want to go into pediatrics and a big part of that is, yes, I'm very like, um, I'm drawn to the patient population, but also I like all the people that I've met that are in that field. And I feel like it would be a good life, which is pretty important. And that's kind of how you're, you are approaching the races and everything that you're, that you're kind of attending and going after. Does the novelty piece interject itself into, or is it all kind of 
novel because it's like if it's an unexplored area that to you it would be novel so does that is that secondary or where is that kind of balance for that for like versus people and like community versus like the yeah. actual like work i think the the great thing about going into like this field of being a physician scientist is that the scientist side of things allows you to be creative and explore things that you might not otherwise get to explore as a bona fide physician. So I think science allows that novelty in that you can, you know, study a lot of different scientific questions and learn new techniques and um, constantly be learning with regard to that. And I guess going, going back to your other question about like, does that attitude like seep into other, like into career things when we're talking about like other, other people's thoughts on what's cool that totally exists in medicine. Like, and I I I talk to my classmates about this all the time. Like one of my best friends was set on going into neurosurgery, which is one of the most competitive subspecialties that exists. And he had all the credentials to do it. And he had all this feedback that was like, oh, wow, you're going to be a neurosurgeon. Like, and you're set up for it. Of course, you need to do this. But he was able to quiet all those voices and realize that wasn't actually something he was interested in. It was just this path that he had gone down and he got all this positive feedback from it. And now he's going into something else. But I think the same can be said for our sports where it's like, Oh wow, you're going to do Western States or you're going to do this very prestigious Mm -hmm. thing that we all recognize and know, but ultimately it's your life. You make the decisions and you need to figure out what you're, what you're drawn to, not what other people think you should be drawn to. Yeah. With so many different disciplines, it's gotta be quite, quite the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what is the, um, when it comes to you as an athlete and as a scientist, there's only so much time, Mm -hmm. you know, like how are you able to balance? Yeah. Like, is it like, how's that work? It's, it totally ebbs and flows. Like right now I am like eight weeks away from defending my PhD, which is crunch time for sure. Yeah. Which is why we should tell the listeners that we had to reschedule this because the last time we were planning on doing it, I was, I, I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off and I was like, I can't, I just can't do this right now. Um, so thanks for, like letting me reschedule that, but I yeah, think that- glad you did. I'm again, I appreciate that you were able to recognize that. It's like, nope, yeah, not, not today. Yeah, so I think knowing <laughs> knowing when to say no is important. Um, trying not to overcommit, but then also like prioritizing one thing at a time. Like right now, I'm not focused on training for anything. I'm still running because it's good for my brain, but also. Um, really focused on the school side of things. And I think that has allowed me to stay healthy pretty much ever since I've been in graduate school. Like I'm not able to train, um, you know, as much as I want, which I think is really healthy. Like I can shut off the athlete and be 
Rachel, the graduate student and forget about the fact that I run, which um, I think is, is more of a strength than a weakness to have like these two very different disciplines that um, sort of pull away from each other. Which seems counterintuitive, right? Like you figure the people that are able to train at a high level all the time would have a distinct advantage. But I kind of think you're right. And I think that there needs to be this moment where you can kind of step back and step away Mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of create some space outside of yourself as like just an athlete. Yeah. Um, so I would love to see that happen and love for people to continue to do that and do well. But I just think life demands end up swallowing people up a little bit, you know, trying to get back into it. So I like that that is something that you found and I can attribute to your success as opposed to wishing that you had to have it one way or another, as I think a lot of other athletes kind of would. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of that too is like, like, sport can give you a lot of resilience in your career. So like if all I were doing in graduate school was doing experiments, which by the way, a lot of them fail. <laughs> like if all, <laughs> if all I was doing was like, I'm so focused on graduate school, every single one of those failed experiments would have made me very, very sad. But I have running that I know is going to bring me joy. And with running, as long as you stay healthy, you see more often than not, you see great progress. And that can give you a lot of fulfillment to be moving forward in some aspect of your life. When graduate school can feel like just a lot of failure. Um, So I think like being an athlete has also made me a much more resilient graduate student because I can come back into the lab every day with a fresh mind and feel invigorated and not totally um, defeated by whatever happened the day before. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And like having almost like momentum and like a balancing momentum Mm -hmm. at on your side. Mm -hmm. Same can be said for running. Like when you get, when you have setbacks in running, it's like, okay, that's fine. Like I'm, I'm focusing more on school and like pushing forward in this other aspect. And if all, if all I did was run, I would be again, very, very sad because I can't run because I'm injured or whatever it is. I think it's important to have multiple um, ways that you're able to move forward when something isn't working, which inevitably will happen. Yeah, that's great. I think that that's a really smart way in trying to get people out of their, their one zone and, and just exploring other things that they, that they might find more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So what do you got on uh what do you got in terms of races this year? Like, and now you say you're not really training. Like, what does it look like in terms of goals for you this, this coming year? Have you, have you thought about that much? Yeah. So, well, I was signed up for the Lake Sonoma 50 miler, which is now moved to the fall. Um, I'm signed up for that Zagama race that we were talking about. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So I was supposed to do that last year and got, got bumped to this year. And then, I'm going, assuming graduate school finishes, I'm going back to med school rotations um, in June. So I'll be pretty focused on that through the summer. And then I'm hoping to go back to CCC, that uh, one of the sister races of UTMB in August. 
Um, I mean, my strategy right now is sign up for a bunch of races and hope that they actually happen. And if, right. they, and if they don't, that's fine too, because I got other things that I could do with my time. Um, I'd love to do the, the Timberline Trail, uh, which circumnavigates Mount Hood out in Oregon. Mm. My friend Ladia has the, the record on that. Um, and she's been, she's been kind of bugging me to go after it. So I think that would be a really fun objective. Um, yeah, I think just going after some fastest known time attempts with some friends and those races that I mentioned, assuming that they actually happen. Cool. So nothing too, nothing too narrow. No. Hoping you can have something work out. Yeah. And uh, I have to ask, because your your partner is your coach. Yes. How is that? It, how, how, how are you doing? It's it's awesome. So part part of what also makes it awesome is that he coaches a lot of my friends. And so mm. my friends that are training for the same events as me. So oftentimes, I don't even get the workouts from him. I just show up to my run with my friends and do whatever they're doing. <laughs> so I don't, that's nice. I don't really think about it too much. Um, I think the other real advantage of having him is that he knows, he knows when I have something that's demanding a lot of my time with school so that he knows not to give me too much running. Um, because I, I think the problem there is like, if you have a coach who is only thinking about your athletic potential and giving you the most optimal training for assuming that all you're doing is running. I think that can be very stressful if you're like, well, I I can't run a hundred miles and I can't do this two hour workout on a Wednesday because I have all these other things going on. Um, It becomes more of a source of stress. So rather than thinking about what's the absolute perfect training you could do, it's more optimizing what you can do with the time that you have and, and being really happy with that. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying there. Cause if, I, ideally a coach would be able to kind of help with that, but there's, there's time associated with kind of breaking that, like, and like building that relationship between a coach and an athlete, like mm-hmm. figuring out like, okay, what is the, what is best suited for this athlete? It's mm-hmm. not just like where you guys are all probably close to the same page just cause you're so, just you're so close yeah so it's probably it's got to be easier it doesn't take that time to like break things down yeah which he he does that with his other athletes like learns about what other things they have going on but i don't i don't love that like regimented like putting everything in a training log or in a calendar and like having the thinking about all of that like i would rather just kind of take it day by day and slowly be told like what to do as we go rather than like having this big drawn out plan that's yeah may or may not happen. yeah it's it's funny i have some uh, uh kind of working with some athletes who are who i'm starting to realize are more like you with the mindset of that <laughs> and they're kind of hard to coach oh, <laughs> it's like yeah. well what do you feel like We're, yeah it's like yeah they might be sevens it's like you're kind of like, yeah, don't tell me what to do. I don't know if I really feel like doing that today. You should tell those athletes to get like a running buddy if they don't already have one. Cause I feel like that's been my secret weapon is just like, see your training as play, which is very easy to do when you're like with friends. 
and tell them to get coffee and pastries with these friends after. And suddenly they're going to have like all these bricks of training stacked together and they're going to do really well. It, yeah. It, like even the, the doing isn't, isn't necessarily the problem. It's all my end. It's like want making sure that like they're getting space to have fun and do an adventure and do stuff, <laughs> but also like that they're getting better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like just Man, like, I, like yeah. that they're going to be prepared. You know, My heart goes out to you. I know that like, we're not easy people to coach. And I think my college coach probably got very frustrated. You probably, you might oh my see God. like, man, you have so much potential. Like if you could only just focus a little bit, it would be amazing. But, but you don't want to <laughs> like this race sucks. I don't want to do this. <laughs> you don't want to rein them in too much because part of that like right. craziness is what makes them good. I think. 100% like where it needs to be. And that's like what happened with you. It's like, all right, well, here's this show race. Like, go oh, like have some fun. And then all of a sudden it, your coach is probably like, what the <laughs> your college coach? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That's sorry. great. That's hilarious. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. Rachel, well, this is great. I don't want to keep you all, all, uh, afternoon. So I do appreciate you taking the time. This is an awesome conversation. Um, and I'm glad we were able to kind of connect. So where can the people find you, follow you, kind of root for you? You have a blog. Yeah. Yeah. I need to update that. Um, it's ultrasidehustle.com. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram at Rachel Ray Drake. And I think, yeah, those are probably the best. Oh, I'm on Strava as well. I think Strava is actually my favorite form of, of social media. Okay. Yeah, I'll link to I'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. Yeah, because I, I was able to read about Mr. B. Is Mr. B still kicking? Yes. Okay. So this is really sad. We we actually recently got a new van and we are gonna be getting rid of Mr. B. Um oh, no. hoping to keep him in the in the family, so to speak. I have a couple of friends who might be interested in in adopting okay. him. So that would be that would be nice. Sending Mr. B out to the farm where he's really yeah, happy. Yeah, yeah, he's been awesome. He's a really good, really good car. Cool. We'll catch up on all the stories of Mr. B on Ultra Side Hustle again. I'll, I'll plug everything. But yeah, so I appreciate it again. I'm going to hit stop. And we'll go back to that initial screen and we'll be good to go. Cool. All right. Thank you. All right. That was great. That was awesome. Legit one of my favorite conversations on this podcast that I've ever had. So if you like the conversations we're having on this podcast, hook us up, five-star review. We would love that. It helps us get found. Uh, say something nice if you have something nice to say. Make sure you follow Rachel at all of her socials on Strava. Check out the blog. Make sure you follow her progress because um, I think we got big things coming from her. So appreciate you guys. Talk to you soon.